Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet at Jim Kramer. On a day like today, where the Dow tumbles 336 points, S&P plunges 1.42%. NASDAQ plummets 2.21%. Almost everything in this market has become controversial. Every stock. But before I get into controversies, let me just say that this market remains very elevated versus where it was a year ago. So it's perfectly legit for us to sell off a couple of percentage points sell, 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 sell. without thinking it's some sort of new bear market. Going into today, the S&P 500 still up for the month of March, even though we've been down for four uh, times in five sessions. It's perfectly reasonable to give up that March game. It's rational that we'd have some selling, and let's be sure of something. The S&P is still up a percent and a half for the year. And NASDAQ, it's still in rallying, but it's up 6.4%. To listen to the people today, you would think that the market's down huge. We're going from a period where it was just kind of, let's say, too easy to make money in too many sectors to a new era where things are a lot more challenging. So you aren't going to find many investors willing to step up to the plate on a day like today. They're much more likely to walk away from the market entirely, which is exactly what happened. You know I think it's a mistake to panic. However, you do need to know what you're up against. So let's go over the areas of controversy that define today's action. And let's do it empirically, and let's do it, by the way, unemotionally. First, there's information technology. That represents more than a quarter of the S&P 500. Now, that level of concentration itself is risky. Because while this is a solid group with genuine leaders of hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap, it's also prone to dramatic swoons like today's nasty plummet. We've got various different kinds of tech out there, siloed, if you will. And to extend the silo metaphor, today they blew up the granaries. Let's start with the social media silo. This cohort fell apart today, led by Facebook. Social media encompasses many stocks, but Facebook at $500 billion is a silo of its own. The company's political problems, which have been simmering for a while, went to a boil today when we discovered that data gathered by Facebook have been used in ways you probably didn't expect if you filled out a customer's seemingly innocuous survey. Uh, that includes potentially helping to elect President Trump. If you stick around, I'll have more about how hard it is to bat- bottom fish in a stock that I've come out here multiple times and recommended. As I predicted on Squawk on the Street this morning, though, Today was not the day to start a Facebook position. I said it would be down all day. In fact, it was a day of soul searching for Facebook shareholders because we can't believe that these guys aren't more sensitive to what the media says about their actions. When this kind of story breaks, you can't just declare that there's, say, no data breach when all the headlines say there's a data breach and and that you have no responsibility when you clearly uh, at least are being imputed with responsibility by many of the people who use you. Today, Facebook should have sent out CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg to say how sorry they were, how they'll work night and day to ensure that it doesn't happen again. But Facebook, I don't know. How many times did you hear the word arrogant today to describe Facebook? And and maybe they're not taking this kind of thing more seriously 
because they're just out of touch. When the press calls something a scandal, the company can't just say, hey, it's not a scandal. Yet they seemed oblivious. Now, I think that may have changed even today. So they just hired a forensic analyst to get to the bottom of the situation, but not enough. A start? Not enough. Next, Silo, Uber put a stop to its autonomous vehicle tests across the country and probably some others when one of its self-driving cars hit and killed a pedestrian. Now, any fatality is too many fatalities. But from the very beginning of this experiment, everyone involved knew that we would still have them. The issue is not whether self-driving cars will have accidents. They will. It's will they have fewer accidents than cars driven by humans? So far, the results are a resounding yes. But that's not what investors thought about today. And again, who can blame them? Nevertheless, there are a ton of companies involved in autonomous driving, from Alphabet's Waymo to Intel to NVIDIA to Tesla, among so many others. And their weakness was integral to the Nasdaq sell-off. Although Intel, which I flagged as the cheapest tech company last week after we met them in San Francisco, was barely down at the end of the day. Keep that in mind. Remember, the whole semiconductor cohort had been roaring for the last couple of weeks. And that came to a bitter end today. But I suspect it can come back harder than most realize. Alphabet was twice hammered, driverless car, and a story about the European Union floating the idea of an Internet tax, something that also jabbed Amazon. Now, that's a lot of fang to take out and shoot on one day, right? I mean, it was multiple. It wasn't just one. Oh, and this weekend we learned that Apple might be making its own screens rather than buying them from companies like Samsung. Again, sounds a little innocuous, but the doubters were out in full force, using that perhaps Apple will start making all of its own components, which was a nightmare for the huge contingent of Apple suppliers. And geez, this OLED universal display, they've just crushed it. Not all was lost. The cloud-based stocks didn't get hit that badly. Look for those to bottom first if we're going to stem this tech decline, but Oracle's going to have to start looking a little better in the after hours after it reported. The next controversial group, the banks. Yep, the financials took it on the chin today, in part because we have a Fed meeting this week with a new chair, Jerome Powell. And the banks will get slammed if Powell says the economy is weakened to the point where we may only need three rate hikes this year. I hope he just says we will be data dependent, which means no autopilot. But it's a reasonable worry. Remember the theme I keep coming back to? It's reasonable. Of course, the opposite could also happen. Powell could say the economy is still as hot as the last time he spoke not that long ago. That means higher rates are coming, in which case we'll get a sell-off in health care, higher yielding consumer staples, and the real estate investment trust as a trade-off to the banks going higher. Now, a 3% yield we've discovered, which many stocks have, won't protect you if rates creep uh, keep creeping higher. As anyone who owns the stock of the food conglomerate Kraft Heinz knows after the stock's recent breakdown to an almost 4% yield. And it doesn't seem to have a bottom. And word of a presidential press conference coming up soon on opioid drugs that could contain some pointed words about drug pricing help weigh down the pharma group, too. You know, we've got the CEO of Cigna, who I think can lend some thought to how out of control healthcare costs are. Now, the good news here, when I strolled through the charts this weekend, I saw all the banks were up last week and all the healthcares were down. If we get a statement from the Fed that inflation's under control, so they'll do a hike and maybe more if things stay strong, you can actually catch a rally in both sectors come Thursday. But Thursday's a lifetime away. We know the industrials are trouble. They're linked with world trade, which our tariffs have officially put a crimp in. No CEO outside the steel and aluminum industries wants to hear about a trade war with China or an escalation in the existing trade war. So the group still can't get its footing. Even the putative winners from the tariffs like Nucor, our largest steel company, have been ripped to shreds. Hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we see what the CEO of Kramer Industrial Fave Emerson Electric has today, what he's thinking before jumping to any conclusions. 
anything oil and natural gas pipelines doesn't matter got slammed today even though the oil futures weren't that heavy i continue to believe this group has real issues that includes a turn against natural gas and toward renewable energy when it comes to power plants and wall street's growing revulsion toward fossil fuels younger managers not buying in how about the consumer discretionary stocks just not enough good in retail to counteract the gloom but if you want to know what could bottom first and lead this mark back i think the green shoots i saw in retail could do it now amid the negativity the worst day again since back in the low in February. I think things could turn around after we get a couple more days like today and we put some distance between ourselves and this latest round of bad news, including what dogged Amazon, Facebook, and Alphabet. Don't give up on those. It's just that I keep coming back to the controversy issue. Not because I want to scare you. Heaven knows there are people who are better and more regular frightening you than I am. The problem is that the controversy is real. They're not faux concerns, which would make this kind of sell-off an easier, more natural buy than I would have started today. The legitimacy of the worries can't be denied. Don't be afraid even to sell something in order to raise cash to prepare for still lower levels. Bottom line, look, we told club members of ActionOrsPlus.com that it was not too late to sell at the earlier portion of the day, not at the end of the day, uh, and we were net sellers of stocks. That's rather uh, atypical for me. Usually I'm a net buyer on days for the trust. Uh-uh. There's just too much that's wrong to be whistling past anything, let alone the, let's say, hopefully pseudo graveyard of tech. It's a more difficult environment. And you need to get used to it. There will be some stocks to buy tomorrow, but let's get better prices and more oversold levels before we take the leap. Let's go to Daniel in New York. Daniel. Hi, Mr. Kramer. I love your show. I'm calling oh, thank about you. Uh, McKesson Stock. Um, it has a terrific valuation, high ROE and ROE, ROE gross operational margins, and lower debt than many of its competitors. But the conglomeration of Jamie Dimon, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett's access to capital in huge networks and equals a threat to the entire healthcare space, not to mention the political headwinds from Congress with regard to healthcare reform. So I'd like to know if you believe that these liabilities will ultimately hinder the massive growth potential which exists in the stock. Which stock exactly are we, are we discussing? Uh, McKesson. 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 No, not yet with McKesson. I think McKesson's part of a, a, a distribution business that right now people don't like. We have to wait for lower prices. It's not regarded right now as being anything you want to commit capital to. Is it a good company? Yes. Do I want to commit capital to the stock? No. Rebecca in New York. Rebecca. Hi, Jim. Long-time follower on CNBC and first-time caller. Congratulations on 13 years with well, that money. thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. How can I help? Well, I've been following the market in Alcoa for 10 years. My grandfather retired to Florida from Alcoa in 1978 after 30 years at the Davenport, Iowa plant. Wow. And my question to you, as a major American industrial business, how do you think Alcoa will do in 2018 with all these tariff talks? Uh, Look, I think Alcoa is an excellent company. I think that the world is no longer as glutted in aluminum as it was. That's why Alcoa's been doing well. Congratulations to your dad working at that Davenport facility. Boy, Alcoa, those facilities are so well run. Uh, But be careful. I think that the stock could be, let's say, uh, let's, uh, it will move a little bit in rougher seas for a little bit, and then it will be right again. Almost everything in this market is controversial. I don't want to scare you, but I, I have to tell you, don't be afraid to raise some cash on stuff that you're up on. Mad Money tonight, with Facebook down over 6% in a single session, what should your next move be with the stock? I'm going to give you my take. Then even after a tough day on the averages, Etsy shares are reapproaching all-time highs. Can the online goods emporium from Brooklyn continue crafting a rally? And how will Cygnus' $52 billion purchase of Express Scripts benefit the stock? No one seems to like the deal. Let's hear from the CEO. Stick with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looks like we got a new dichotomy going here. It's the fundamentals versus who cares about the fundamentals? That pretty much sums up what we saw in a bunch of stocks today, but I want to focus on Facebook. Full disclosure, we own this one for the charitable trust, but recently trimmed our position for the first time in ages because I thought we were being too greedy. Bulls make money, bears make money, hogs. <laughs> slaughtered. It just seemed like too juicy a win to keep everything on the table. Normally, with the stock down nearly 7% in a single session, though, I'd be tempted to start buying it back right here. When you think about it, Facebook now sells for just 19 times next year's earnings estimates. 19! Despite the fact the company has 47% revenue growth. And while the law of large numbers may make it difficult to keep delivering that kind of growth, it's not like you're paying some pie-in-the-sky multiple for the darn stock. In fact, it's absurdly cheap, as cheap as the average stock now. And the average stock is lucky to grow sales at 4.7%, not 47%. So why not just hold your nose and buy? There are many reasons, but they can be boiled down to a simple idea. It's just too hard right now. Why? Because nobody cares that Facebook stock trades at a cheap price during multiple. They can't take the pain. They don't want this address. The house of pain. Seriously, do any of the sellers honestly believe that people will stop using Facebook, though, or Instagram because the company lets some political consultant misuse your data before the election? I mean, does anyone think, okay, because of Cambridge Analytica, whom they'd never heard of until today, was owned by some outfit in the UK, which they didn't know until today, with ties to the Russians and ties to the banished Steve Bannon? Well, I'm just not going to post anything anymore because of that. Does any advertiser say, time to cut back my very successful ad business because Facebook didn't do enough to protect its users who filled out a survey a few years ago? Are they going to cut their nose off to spite their face? No. The viewers are still there. The company is still growing. The advertisers know Facebook is still the best way to reach their customers, which is exactly what we heard just last week from Clorox CEO Ben Odor, one of the most forward-thinking executives in the consumer packaged goods space. The users, the advertisers, the rate of adoption, the money paid, those all come under the headlines of the fundamentals, the facts about the business and how it's doing. That's what we care about in Mad Money, which is why I think the issue here has nothing to do with Facebook's numbers or its price earnings multiple. The issue is that people don't care about the fundamentals. They think the stock's expensive at any price at the moment. They don't like the controversy. They don't like management's tone-deaf response. And they want nothing to do with this kind of endless headline risk in the story. Now, here's what I know about situations like this historically. Three things have to happen to the stock of Facebook before it can bottom. One, the stock stopped going down on headlines involving what I call soft issues, so to speak, that don't directly impact earnings. Two, the company itself has to get ahead of this news flow. While a consistent narrative, it's got to have one about how it recognizes the responsibility to do no harm has got to be put front and center. Something that is not helped by Facebook spokespeople arguing the Cambridge Analytica story is not a data breach, let alone a story. Even if the company thinks this is all trumped up nonsense, they need at least to pretend like they take it seriously. And finally, the big profit taking needs to come to an end, to the point where new buyers and sellers from much higher levels simply can't believe they have a chance to buy the stock at such low levels because of salacious headlines and foot and mouth 
executives. When a stock is down over 10 points in one day, you'd like to say, hey, come on, let's, uh, let, let's do some buy. Remember, though, there are many more people saying, I am up so much. Who can take this? Why not just sell? sell, sell, sell. Right now, the sellers are what we call in charge. No need to fight people who don't care about valuation. They're way too powerful an enemy to get in front of. I say let them exhaust themselves before you venture into the stock of Facebook. The worst that happens, you're too late. You don't catch the exact bottom. That's a small price to pay versus the risk of being blown out after the second or third or maybe even the fourth day of bad headlines. Although I'm telling you right now, I doubt it will last that long. Much more mad money, including my take on Etsy. Companies trying to remake retail. Could it also manufacture profits? I'm crafting a thesis on the economy. Then with news that Cigna is buying Express Scripts, the healthcare landscape is clearly challenging, and it's changing. I'm going to sit down with the CEO to see what's ahead for the sector. And sparks are flying at Emerson Electric. But can the stock continue to amp up the juice and plug into profits? It's been so fabulous. I'm shining a light on the company. Stick with Kramer. On a day like today, when the tech cohort is getting slaughtered en masse, I like to go a little more positive. Take the other side of the trade. It's worth remembering that we actually want many of these stocks to go down. Stocks get cheaper when they go lower, for the most part. And there are some fabulous stories here that are almost never giving you a pullback. Consider the case of Etsy. The global e-commerce platform that's become the best online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods. Kind of like the eBay for hippies, although some would say it is a very hip Amazon. Now, I was very skeptical, if you remember, about Etsy when it came public back in 2015. Management seemed to be indifferent to the idea of turning a profit. Stock came public at 16 bucks, surged to an intraday high of 35 right out of the gate, which is when I cautioned viewers that it was too risky to touch. Sure enough, Etsy came down hard, plummeting to the mid-single digits within a year of its public debut. But at those, those much lower levels, you know, I, I had to start wondering, it, maybe this story had become more intriguing. I gave Etsy my blessing for speculation in May of 2016, not long after the company reported a surprise profit. I didn't think there would just be one. Managers seemed to have gotten their act together, and my wife fell in love with their platform. Since then, it's been less than two years, and the stock has more than tripled. Yep, Etsy, Brooklyn's own, has been a huge winner. I recommend it again last August, patting the table. If you listen, you have a 79% gain, 78% gain, I'm sorry. Now, that's a colossal run. And I don't want, I, I, I don't blame a soul for wanting to take some profits, which is what I saw today. But the great thing about Etsy, the reason why I feel confident recommending it in today's tech bloodbath, is this move has been 100% fueled by the company's amazing earnings. See, it's all about the fundamentals. And this is exactly the kind of story that will keep working, regardless of whether or not Facebook botched its handling of user data during the election, or which cabinet secretary the president decided to fire next. The fundamentals are great, and when you have great fundamentals, you can feel confident about buying a stock into weakness. See, I've been thinking about Etsy, that the thesis kind of like a, you know, an animal in the woods. It has no natural enemies. A lot of people at one point were worried that Etsy would be steamrolled by Amazon. After the retail Death Star launched their own marketplace for handcrafted goods, turns out Etsy is incredibly resilient. They, they may have nothing to fear from Amazon, at least for the moment. And that's how beloved their platform is. We know that because Etsy's most recent quarter was a gigantic blowout. 
So any chance to buy this thing, the weakness is an opportunity. Why do I like it so much? All right, here's what you need to understand. Etsy has been a godsend for small businesses that specialize in handcrafted goods, and there's a ton of them. The idea is that Etsy's platform gives its community of nearly 2 million sellers that have to compete against mass market digital retailers. And while Amazon has been trying to move into the space, the truth is they don't come anywhere near Etsy's breadth of handmade merchandise. However, this was one of the things that made Etsy stock a pariah during the first year after its IPO. Everyone figured that once you find yourself in Amazon's crosshairs, it's game over. In October 2015, Amazon rolled out that handmade by Amazon business, which many people figured had to be an Etsy killer. But not only has Etsy survived despite the competition from Amazon, they continue to thrive like never before. You know, they've got tens of millions of handmade items for sale. You ever see my daughter's pillows on there? I bought some. Amazon doesn't even have one million. Meanwhile, Etsy keeps improving their own platform, making itself an essential partner for all these little handcrafted, handicraft retailers, meaning they have the kind of scale that makes it very difficult for anyone else to swoop in and poach much business. Lately, the company also has done a lot to improve the buyer ex- experience with improved search functions, thank heavens, and better recommendations. When Amazon uh, came at them, they resolved to beat the retail death star at their own game, and that's exactly what they've done. Just as impressive. Last year, Etsy swapped out its management team and the company didn't miss a beat. In April 2017, the company brought in a new CFO, Rachel Glasner from Leaf Group, and very impressive. Then when Etsy reported a disappointing quarter, the board of directors forced out Chad Dickerson, he's the old CEO, replaced him with Josh Silverman, savvy guy, technology and finance exec with experience at Skype and American Express. Nice pedigree. Finally, last July, the company brought in a new chief technology officer to improve that structure in the infrastructure I just mentioned, the systems, which were very sloppy. And boy, oh boy, can this new team deliver. When Etsy reported its latest quarter last month, they knocked it out of the park. The company delivered a three-cent earnings beat off of a 12-cent basis, higher than expected revenue, up 23.6% year-over-year, higher than expected gross merchandise uh, sales. All told, Etsy now has 1.93 million active sellers, 33.4 million active buyers, and a rapidly growing mobile business. Even better, the company gave phenomenal full-year guidance for 2018. Etsy's retail partners saw a fabulous sales acceleration during the holiday season. Thanks to the company's recent initiatives, they're seeing strong growth across all of their core markets. And 2018 is looking like it'll be a great year. The company's conversion rates, the percentage of people who click on the site then actually buy something, Increased for the first time in a while, despite the fact that mobile is increasingly large part of the business and mobile conversion rates tend to be much lower than what you get from people using a desktop. That's why the stock jumped more than 20 percent on the news. And since then, they've tacked on another 10 percent gain. That is an epic run which is why I'm so glad Etsy's finally pulling back with the rest of tech. It's down 1.66% today. Ideally, it goes even lower and get even better prices. I say ideally because this sell-off has nothing to do with Etsy, and I believe it will bounce back with alacrity once investors calm down and the smoke clears. Plus, I like that Etsy is migrating to the cloud. It's using Google's cloud service, which is excellent. Long-term, this will help them grow the business, although uh, there might be some short-term earnings pain from the new investments. I say it's worth it. One more thing. Last week, uh, Edward Yuruma of KeyBank, who's been very positive on Etsy of late, had a meeting with the uh, company's new CEO. He was effusive about all the ways the company's using the technology to bolster its gross uh, merchandise sales, the sales of their retail partners uh, on the platform. Etsy's using artificial intelligence to improve its search function. It's made the site easier to navigate. It's got a better checkout process and more transparent shipping. Basically, they're trying to do what Amazon does. Put it all together, and you've got an incredible story here. When Etsy came public, the darn thing looked like it was going to be run as a nonprofit cooperative that did 
didn't seem to care about earnings. Now it's turning a nice profit with terrific earnings growth. Sure, the stock looks expensive. It's trading 53 times uh, next year's earnings estimates. I'm not saying it's cheap. But the thing about these growth names is that you need to look to the out years to get a better sense of valuation. Etsy on 2021 is 29 times earnings. It's a lot more reasonable, still expensive. I get that. If you believe the company can deliver, though, on its growth projections or even beat them, then the stock is absolutely worth owning and only gets more attractive as it goes down on daily today. I think they'll have no trouble beating the numbers because Etsy's been giving you upside surprise after upside surprise. Bottom line, this was a really ugly day for the stock market. Not denying it, but you need to stay calm. Approach sell-offs like this one as buying opportunities, at least when it comes to high-quality stocks of companies with great fundamentals. Etsy's stock got hit today, but its business is in amazing shape. You have my blessing to pick some up here right now, tomorrow, even more if the pain continues, which may very well be the case given the ferocity of the NASDAQ portion of the sell-off. Albert in Florida. Albert. Hey, Jimbo. Seems like I've been watching you for 30 years, you old dog. You. Holy cow. Hey, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, Macy's. A uh, year and a half ago, 70, bottomed out about 18, coming back nice now. Got new management in there, bringing some tech in. Great yield. What do you think of this turnaround? I thought Jeff Ginn had great things to say when I watched him. Uh, I've been following this man intensely from when we recommended the stock 18, 19, 20. I'm not backing away. Can the stock have a backup? Absolutely. But Macy's is doing everything right, including fixing that balance sheet. All right, it was an ugly day, but that's what you that's when you go shopping for opportunities. Take a look at Etsy. You have my blessing to start picking some up. Much more may have money at, including my exclusive with Cigna. The stock is down 18% despite its monster acquisition. Maybe it could be worth buying here. Then could Emerson continue shining bright on Wall Street with a stock up 25% last year? I'm gonna sit down with the CEO to see if the move can continue. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I've enjoyed immensely working with you this hour. Uh, so have I. Yeah, been Looking fun. forward to yes. the rest of the week. Uh, you're going towards you You're talking too fast. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Some stocks just can't seem to catch a break. A week and a half ago, we learned that Cigna, the gigantic health insurance provider, is buying Express Scripts, the pharmacy benefit manager. You might know him as a PBM. And a gigantic $67 billion deal. The market's response? Cigna stock has been crushed. It's come down from 204 to 166 now. And this was already after it had been taken to the woodshed during February's big sell-off. In late January, this was a $226 stock. The market clearly does not like this deal, but what if the market's got it wrong? That wouldn't be the first time. Special Chips has admittedly had a spotty track record. We're going to talk about that. But Singer's one of the best-run players in the industry. They know what they're doing. So uh, with the stock getting clobbered once again today, could this stock represent real value here? Let's take a closer look with David Cordati. He is the CEO of Cigna to hear his side of the story. Mr. Cordati, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you. Have a seat. Good to see you as well. Thank you. Well, you know, there's no such thing as a do-over, obviously, because it's the stock market. It's not when we're playing kickball in school. But I need you to walk through the rationale because I think there's a a lot of things, as I said, I, I know I liked, particularly things like accretion, but there's bigger things than just dollars here that are worked there. That, so I'm giving you the floor. Sure. So we're a health service company, and like you said, there's bigger things than accretion. It all starts with having the right products and services for individuals that are affordable, 
of high, are of high quality and help people live better lives. Cigna has been doing that for many years, and with the combination of Express Scripts, we'll be able to do that for even more lives, and with broader capabilities to keep healthcare more affordable, have higher quality, and connect better with healthcare professionals. That's what the net story is here. Okay, so let's take it from the point of view first of what some people thought Cigna was on a growth path to do, which is that, you know what, we kind of liked Cigna without an acquisition, didn't really feel that one was necessary, just felt that you were just doing so well. What do you say to the people who, who say, listen, man, my Cigna was fantastic. What happened here? I think we'll start with my Cigna was fantastic, and it still is. Okay. We grew greater than 10% for the last seven years, top line, greater than 10% bottom line, and over 30% shareholder return over the last six years. So phenomenal. But change and innovation is required, and we're an innovative company, and this, re this enables us to have have more lives to touch, takes a capability, pharmaceutical capabilities, which are now 20% of total healthcare costs. Not that long ago, they were just 10%. Right. And specialty pharmacy, which is the fastest growing healthcare cost, brings them together to align them with medical, behavioral, population health, and our physician alignment program. So Cigna is going to be even better, touching more lives and a better partner with our healthcare All professionals. Right, I'm coming back forward. to you again. Uh, Cigna had, had a great pharmacy benefit manager. Why do you need another? We do. We built our own, and it's been a growing it's benefit fantastic. manager capability. So when you look at this, this is not the acquisition of a pharmacy benefit management okay. company. It's a broadening of capabilities. First, more lives to touch. 80 million more lives. Secondly, the ability to further accelerate the affordability equation, so lowering healthcare costs. Cigna's delivered the lowest medical cost trend every year for the last yeah. five years. Express Scripts delivered the lowest pharmacy trend last year. And then lastly, expand, expanding distribution. You know how important distribution right. is, selling to more clients, more health plans, and more governmental entities. So capabilities, reach, Quality, affordability, that's what this is about. All right, so let's take Express Scripts. There are a lot of people who felt, wait a second, these guys, they lost a big customer. Uh, maybe they're in a secular declining business. Yeah, we don't see it that way. Okay. So take pharmaceuticals as just an example. The number one cause in the gap in healthcare in America, so quality issues, mm -hmm. typically tie back to a pharmaceutical, the wrong drug, the wrong right. dose, or the wrong duration. So it's a high intimacy play with the customer and the healthcare professional. Two, 80 million customers and a growing book of business, even with the transitioning client. Right. So let's come back to your point around accretion. Even including the transitioning client, this combination will be accretive in the teens in the first year, not second year or third right. year. In the first year, even after you exclude that transitioning client. So we've taken that into consideration. We'll have a growing chassis, broader set of capabilities, more lives to impact. Now, from my point of view, why I felt in the 170s it was a buy is, is that I happen to have been a long-term supporter of United Health, and I liked them because they were outcomes-oriented from Opt Optum. In other words, they really had a very good database, mm -hmm. and of course, they were like you. They're terrific insurer. Uh, this company looks to me a lot like United Health when they merge, but it's a lot cheaper. Um, I appreciate that. I think we're a great value. So when you look at United Healthcare, great corporation, great corporation, great series of assets. Our, our capabilities will have the ability to serve employers serve health plans, serve governmental entities. Some of the differences that exist with some of the other alternatives in the marketplace, open architected, so the ability to work with a variety of technology platforms, open access, not, not proprietary or owned physician capabilities, but we're partnering oriented. Right. Example, Cigna has 500 partnerships today in the United States with physicians and hospitals. And then choice base, being able to have either digital access mm -hmm. or retail access, at home access or in your physician's office or at a clinic at your employer of choice. So the ability to have that choice 
accessibility and partnership capabilities is what we're all about. All right, well, I know the first leg down had to do, a lot of people felt, uh, with this Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan teaming up also to find a way to lower health care costs. I know from when you were on Squawk in the Street that you've spoken with these folks. Give me the difference between uh, why you may still have a unique selling proposition and maybe unique for the customer. Sure. When you said the first leg down, so context-wise for everybody, when that announcement took place, Cigna stock went down a little bit because right. we're largely in the United States an employer-sponsored offering, and we've been able to prove that we could grow, not just grow, but grow double-digit revenue mm -hmm. by being a consultative partner with employers and having solutions that help to make their employees healthier, more productive, and therefore make their businesses better. To your point, if that um, joint venture has legs and takes off, they're going to need a service partner and a service provider of choice. We'll be really well positioned, whether it's an Amazon or whether it's the Department of Defense, whether it's health plans or whether it's high-performing physicians. None of these companies feel that you add to the cost. We, we actually take cost out by improving quality. So at the end of the day, the way to take costs out is to improve quality. The way you improve quality is either improve somebody's health or help them get the best possible care and coordinate that care when they need it with physicians. All right, terrific. I'm so glad you came on and explained it because I do think, look, a stock down 50 to 60, it's such a high-quality company. And you say it's accretive, and I make I get the, the proposition. Thank you to David Cordani. He's the president and CEO of Cigna. Look, you're certainly not playing, paying the top dollar for it, and I think the rationale, as outlined just now, makes a ton of sense to me. Mad Money's back yet to the break. It is time. And then the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Adam in Colorado. Adam. Booyah, Jim, and thank you for taking my call, and thank you for your stock wisdom. My question is regarding OCLR. Is that a long-term investment, Jim? Thank they you. had a very good quarter, uh, and the optical space is very hot. Do I buy a stock like this up all the way up there after this uh, getting hit in technology? Let's wait a little bit. I bet you can get that stock under nine. Let's go to Dale in Minnesota. Dale. Jim, thanks for all you do for Cray America and for being our bridge over troubled water. Thank you. I'm, I'm calling about SFL Ship Finance International. It is a very hard, large yield, which I've got to tell you, when I've gotten involved with those particular ship companies, you know it's been a big mistake. So I am staying away, and let me just add, it's a $300 million stock now, uh, North Merck. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Long-time fan of your show, Jimmy. Thanks for all your help. Thank you. A VTR Ventus. Okay, uh, Deb Kafaro was money in the bank. I know it yields six and change. I know people are worried about it. I know the real estate investment trust healthcare portion is 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 uh, very very weak. But I'm not going to run away from Deb Kafaro's work. I think it's okay. Let's go to Ed, New Jersey. Ed. Hey Jim, the, the big hello from South Jersey, the real Garden State. All right, fair enough. Philadelphia Zone. What's going on? Uh, I'm, I got uh, Carlisle Group, CG. I bought a 23. Is it a buy, sell, hold? You know what? You bought a 23? I, yes, it is a buy. It's got a 6% yield. Those are very smart guys. I like that idea. Dan in Ohio. Dan. Big Buckeye State. Booyah to you, Jimmy. All right. What's going on? All right. My stock is down 30 points since the beginning of February. Do you think Parker Hannifin is ready for a I'm rebound? I'm not walking away from Parker Hannifin either. I got a lot of them not walking away from it. I got to tell you, I thought the Parker Hannifin's quarter was incredibly strong. But because of all the tariffs and talk about China, 
I, which I think only does, you know, somewhat affects Parker Anderson. People have been running away from the stock. I think that's a mistake. Can we go to Ken in New York? Ken. Hey, Jim. I've got breaking news. I've been a New York Jets fan for over 40 years. I'm done, but I'm staying green. I'm officially an Eagle fan. Right there, right here. Can you imagine that? I, I, I just got the, uh, m- the mic'd up version of that Super Bowl game, which I think about the moment I get up, the moment I get to sleep. How can I help? Hey, what do you think of the synaptics here? You know what? I think a lot of people thought that they should have heard far more about the idea that Apple's going to bring glass uh, screens in-house. It didn't because they've got very good technology. We had the CEO on. I bless it. Let's go to Freda Freda in New York. Freda. Hello. You're up. Hi, Jim. I'd like to know what you think of AIG. It goes down every day except for today. It does go down every day. When I was doing the charts this weekend, I saw they're really the only insurance company that's not doing well. I I suggest you go with Travels or Chubb. How about Betsy in Texas? Betsy. Booyah, Jim Kramer, from Booyah. one of your biggest fans in North Texas. I'll take it. I love North Texas. Let's go to work. <laughs> Thanks for all you do for us small investors. Thank you. I would like your opinion on my stock, Camping World Holdings. I like, the, I like the thesis of outdoors. I think it's been kind of caught up in uh, some of these issues involving uh Let's say firearms and Gander Mountain. And by the way, Marcus Lemonis is always welcome on Mad Money. How about Charlie in New York, please? Charlie. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Oh, very Love well. How about you? Um, uh, as per your recommendations of, uh, a few months ago, I've been buying Lem Research. Last Monday, I was set to uh, take some profits in the morning, and then the bottom seemed to drop out. And during the rest of the week, the price drifted lower and lower. And today, it dropped like a stone. What to do? Okay, well, look, let's understand. Lamb Research hit 234 last week. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stocks that hit the new high last week and are coming down. If you want to take some profits, I totally get it. But this is an inexpensive stock based on 2019 earnings. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. concerned should we be about the big multinational industrials here? The group had been on fire, but with everyone suddenly fretting about potential retaliation for President Trump's new steel and aluminum tariffs, the group has lost some of its, let's just call it mojo. Take Emerson Electric, EMR, which I like to think of as a manufacturer's manufacturer. They are and always have been the best at what they do. Emerson's all about industrial automation, fluid handling, tools, and climate control. The stock roared higher last year along with the rest of the group. Then in November, it hit a bit of a snag. Emerson tried and failed to acquire Rockwell Automation. During that whole saga, its own stock got slammed. But it has come roaring back to new all-time highs, much higher than it was when it, when it made that attempted acquisition. And while it lost some of its groove lately, it's only down four from its, uh, from its high. The thing is, you have to understand, despite all of the new big Picture worries. Emerson's been putting up excellent numbers. Last month, the company reported a strong quarter and raised its full year in sales and earnings forecast. Is that enough to let the stock triumph over this much more challenging stock market? If it weren't for the tariffs, you know what? I think the stock would be at an all-time high. Let's take it with David Farr. He's the chairman and CEO of Emerson Electric. He's also chairman of the National Association of Manufacturers. Get a better sense of how his company's doing and where the economy's headed. Mr. Farr, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, David. Thank you so much for coming. Great to see you. First of all, I'm honored that you come. I think that there are People have to play, I know, have to understand, I play with an open hand. I've always been in awe of your company from well, the late Mr. Knight, who we met in the uh, 80s, and just a remarkable company. So I've got to ask you right here, you are having an incredibly strong year. Which divisions are leading? 
The automation solutions business, our automation business around the world is very strong right now, particularly strong here in the United States right. because all the investment in oil and gas and all the investments we're seeing, starting to see around the world, clearly the tax plan helped us a lot, right. the regulation plans, and as you said, the knockback a little bit on the steel tariffs issue, right. which we'll have to deal with. Right. Now, do you agree with me that there is a bit of an industrial renaissance in this country? Or I know you've been quoted as saying, look, we're back into where we were from 2002 to 2007. I think there is. And I think it's very much focused on the Tax Reform Act, the Tax Cuts Act. And it's going to drive in investment, which we've had an under, underinvestment here in the United States for too long. Right. And you've been in this, involved in this industry for a long time, as I have. I've been 36 years. 17 years as CEO. I'm going to give you a couple stats right sure, here. Talk about, you always talk about our dividend. Yes. 63 years. So as a CEO, I've get, and basically I raised the dividend about $14 billion. Chuck put out $7 billion. So we put out you know, basically $24 billion in that 63-year time period. And that's a lot of cash for our shareholders. Well, you just gave me uh, something to cheer about, which is tax reforms put. Has you, and you've been saying you're very vocal. It's been great. Yeah. Do you think that maybe with tax reform, you just have to take the tariffs and you, you just, that's just part of the package? It's part of the package. I think we're going to work through it. I think it did. It knocked it back a little right. bit. We, we took three steps forward, one step back. But we're going to work our way through it. I mean, from the standpoint of a cost, they're going to go up a little bit. There'll be a little bit more inflation in the, in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But we've done this before. Bush put them in, too. Right. We worked so our way cool. through it. Uh, I think the biggest concern is, is there going to be any retaliation down the road from other companies? And I, I think this thing's going to be played out. Cutlow is a great addition okay. to, the, to the president's package right now, because I think Cutlow will, will dampen the president a little bit and try to make mistake make focus on how we should deal with this well, issue. Well, let's talk about Larry for a second. You can pick up the phone and call Larry anytime. Will you say to him, listen, you know, China, we do a lot. You're on the, the U.S.-China Business Council. That let's not be too hasty here. China's got some good attributes when it comes to your, your Chinese numbers are extraordinary. Correct. We're up like 20 percent the it's last the quarter. Best. But the issue with China is we know China's been a taken advantage of for years and years and years. Okay. Now, I got a great example of what happens in China and the United States. In the United States, we make garbage disposals and sinkerators. Sinkerator. Colonel love loves mine. It. You probably got one. <laughs> I do. So our competitor comes out of China. And they, you know, we have to sell it into China. It costs us between 10 and 20 percent tariffs. They sell in the United States, no tariffs. Yes, so that's good. a big issue. So that's something we have to deal with. And I think that in, in discussions with the president, and I think Larry's the same way, there's got to be a refocus in getting other countries involved and say, China, you've grown up. You're no longer emerging. You've emerged as a global competitor. Let's act like a global competitor and treat everyone fairly. Now, people have to know you're the, the chairman of the National Association of Manufacturers. You are not coming on the show and saying, we have got to do great business with China. I wish the president would stop all this. Yeah. I, I mean, from my standpoint, the NEM, I yeah. mean, I, you have some members are local. Right. Some mem we have 14,000 members and some members are global nationals, the, the Emerson's, the GE's, the Honeywell's right. and companies like that. I mean, we have to do business in China. Right. It's our second largest market. It's going to be the second largest market for a long, long time. We've got to do business. Now, I think, as I've told the president, yes, we need to change things. It's just like NAFTA. We need to refine it. Yeah. All agreements have to be refined. It's just like any agreement you have, you've got to refine it over time. And I think the president understands that. He just has a different tactic. He's got the New Jersey approach to things. <laughs> I mean, the, with the iron fist <laughs> okay. and the hit things, and then you try to knock them back in line. In the Midwest, we're a little softer. Yes, you are. You're right. Maybe. Yes, you are. Now, uh, you did an attempt of an acquisition that would have been just dynamite, Rockwell Nation, but okay, but that's now in the past. Correct. You did an unbelievable acquisition of Pentair. I met with management, the Valve business. That was fantastic. Do you look at the G? where John Flannery has said, you know what, we got to make some sales and say, mouth-watering some opportunities here? I, we see some unique assets inside there we'd love to get our hands on. 
And from the standpoint of, I'm hoping he'll, he'll have to eventually raise some cash. Right. The Baker Hughes situation, they have to unwind that. I think there's some assets in both cases there that I'd like to buy. Right. Nothing really big, but unique assets. And you know, our approach right now, our underlying growth rates can be somewhere around 6 7% this year. Right. With the acquisitions, we're going to be 15 to 20% growth. I'd like okay. to figure out how to do some more acquisitions for, for 2019 right. and 2020. And that's what I'm looking All at right, right one now. One last question. I, I, I've been following you forever. If you were to tell me that things have slowed and you're worried, you would. If you told me that things are good and you're excited, you would. Which is it? I'm still excited. I, you know, I see right now we're going to grow this quarter. They're wondering right now about 7%. Earnings will be up over 20%. I think, I think for the second half of the year, we'll be in the 6 7% growth rate, underlying growth rate. And I think our earnings will have a phenomenal year. Tax reform is good. Regulation reform is good. Investments are going. I think there's a huge investment going on in the United States. I've got three announcements in the United States right now worth about $300 million of investments in U.S. manufacturing. And so I, I finally believe the U.S. is going to have a good run here. And that's why you're going to see a lot of European com- right. companies come in. It's going to be a good year. Thank you. I'm not worried. It's exhausting on some of these days. Thank you for your, And it's not just Midwest optimism. It's empirical optimism. That's what I want. That's David Farr, Chairman and CEO of, Emer- of Emerson Electric. Guys, I need you to look up this company. Emerson has put more money in people's pockets than just about any company that I have ever seen. Stick with Kramer. Here we go again. Yeah, Facebook's finished. Amazon's done. Alphabet. (laughs) Why bother? How many times have we buried these stocks? Always just to find them resting, going down, and then you got to buy them. I've got to tell you, I do not think it will be any different this time. But let's stay patient. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'm going to just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.